Good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in our virtual studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I'm your host, uh, Ron Beard. Liz Graves is on maternity leave, and she'll be joining us later in the year. Hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Just a reminder that uh, we're recording this show in advance and won't be taking any calls today. Well, today uh, today's topic, this afternoon's topic, is um, educating out of doors. Do you recall a time in your school days when the teacher announced that you were going out of doors for a class? It might have been to learn more about your school's wildlife habitat, to learn about gardening. Um, these days, it might include how forests are managed or how the climate is changing. And we're so happy to have some guests in the studio, virtual studio, who can help us. Um, first of all, um, Hazel Stark, no stranger to WERU. She's the producer and host of The Nature of Phenology, and she's the uh, one of the main educators for the main outdoor school in Millbridge. Welcome to you, Hazel. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me here. Tiara Woods is a middle-level classroom teacher at Lemoyne Consolidated School. She's just come out of her um, classroom, and her students were clapping to say, good luck, Tiara. So welcome to you. Thank you for having me. And Lander Nesbitt is the education coordinator for the Blue Hill Heritage Trust, um, doing wonderful work in the, in the vicinity of the Blue Hill Peninsula. Welcome to you. Thank you so much, Ron. Happy to be here. Well, let's ask you each to talk a little about your kind of your connection to education through your work, a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive into the topic of um, how you get involved, get students involved out of doors. Hazel, could we start with you? Tell us a little bit about your kind of career path and more about the Maine Outdoor School. Sure, absolutely. So um, I grew up in Winterport, just south of Bangor, and was going through the public schools there and didn't spend a lot of time outside when I was a student, but I did spend a ton of time outside when I was not at school, camping and snowshoeing and hiking and all kinds of things. And it actually wasn't until I went to College of the Atlantic, where I did my undergrad, uh, where I realized that my real passion for nature and specifically connecting others to it really existed. And so started realizing that that was a potential career, was connecting people to the outdoors. So after I graduated from COA, I actually started working at outdoor schools and environmental education centers in California, Wyoming, New Hampshire, all over the place, and really recognized that I wanted to come back to Maine and create a space where other rural Maine students would have the chance to get outside as part of school. But to do that, I recognized I needed to start my own organization to do that. And so co-founded Maine Outdoor School L3C in 2016 based in Millbridge. So that's how I, I came about to starting Maine Outdoor School. Tiara, could tell us a little bit about your path um, to become a school teacher and, and the connection to the outdoors. Yeah, sure. So I um, didn't grow up far from Hazel. I grew up in Ellsworth and I went through the Ellsworth public school system. And again, I didn't spend a lot of time outside, but I absolutely loved school. I loved that school. Um, it always felt like a key that I needed to get so that I could do anything that I wanted to do. Unfortunately, by the time I hit college, 
I didn't know what I wanted to do. I started with a pre-vet path and then I switched into business and accounting and I just wasn't finding, I wasn't finding my place. So eventually I found my way back to education and that it was sort of full circle there that education was the key for me. So I became a teacher at the Lemoyne Consolidated School in 2015. I sort of went back to my path with, you know, animals, that pre-vet connection, and then with math, that accounting and business connection. And I am now the fifth and sixth grade math and science teacher at Lemoyne Consolidated School. I would say after our pandemic protocols, we started to get outside a lot more. For me, that was where I knew spark for education was was being outside and teaching math and science and any other subject we can we can throw in there. Lander, tell us a little bit about your path and, and what you do at um, Blue Hill Heritage Trust. Yeah, of course. So I'm the education coordinator for Blue Hill Heritage Trust. And I grew up on the Blue Hill Peninsula and I was um, definitely lucky. I had a pretty free range outdoor childhood. And I think that really inspired everything I have done since. Um, I taught homeschooler nature studies when I was a teenager. I worked at summer field studies at College of the Atlantic. Um, and then I eventually went off to Antioch University to do a master's degree in environmental studies and education, um, and then immediately got a job at Blue Heritage Trust and was able to come back to the community I grew up in, and I've loved it so much ever since. And our mission at Blue Heritage Trust um, is to lead in conserving land, water, and wildlife habitat on the peninsula, and it's also to teach and practice a stewardship ethic. That's what I'm involved in all the time. Um, I do a lot of organizing of community events and school programs. The ones I teach personally include wild sun catchers forest days, um, lead uh, one-off field trips. And then we have so many things going on, volunteer trail days, as people know, 4-H club, forestry courses, indigenous-led um, land restoration projects in partnership with Blue Heritage Trust, and many other educational offerings. So definitely check out our website if you want to learn more. Well, uh, let's stay with you, Leonard. Um, what do you see as the main benefits of educating outdoors? I thought I would mention three today that come to mind. I think students being able to experience really embodied learning um, is such a benefit to being outdoors. And what do you mean by embodied learning? So I, I imagine that word probably means many things to many people, but to me, it brings up something that I learned from a, a practitioner in the UK who teaches forest school. They use something called SPICES. So it's uh, that stands for social, physical, intellectual, communication, emotion, spiritual, all things that they consider um, when they're designing a program for the outdoors. And so that's kind of what I think of when I think of embodied learning. Yeah. So I think another huge benefit is building a relationship with the land, the earth, the environment, the natural world, whatever you call it, um, that it's not really possible in doors at a desk with a worksheet or even a simulation. Um, because when you get to know and love something, you're often inspired to, to go and care for it. And that ties into cultivating a stewardship ethic and a conservation mindset, which is a wonderful result of outdoor education. And then I always think of the flip side, too, that the earth also takes care of us in so many, many, many ways, of course. Um, and one of them, I think, is providing a sanctuary for us to return to when challenging things arise in our lives. So developing really positive social, emotional coping regulation skills is so important for youth and can come about during outdoor education experiences. And then I think lastly, I think there, there are so many things, but I'll stick to these three for now because I know Hazel and um, Tiara will have things as well that um, outdoor education is also a time when a larger sense of community can develop. So of course, you know, there's already family, classmates, friends, lots of overlapping human communities in our lives. But when you're learning outside, 
There is also a growing awareness of natural communities, wildlife communities. Um, for the youngest students, I'm working with some pre-K students right now. This could be just pill bugs and salamanders under a log, like those decomposer communities. Um, but I think it really expands awareness of who there is in the world with us and the over overlapping connections we have with all beings. Tara, um, what would you add to that um, wonderful um, list of benefits to teaching out of doors? Yeah, absolutely. And I see so so many similar um, similar components there in the in the public school setting I would say what allows us to get there uh, from our setting is the student buy-in students as soon as you say we're going outside obviously that perks that perks them up they they instantly want to go even if they don't know what we're learning about or how to do it they want to learn outside and it's that buy-in that also allows them to learn the routines necessary you know, how are we going to pack up our materials and bring our materials outside? How are we going to know when to come back as a whole group? How are we going to know what to do as individuals out there? What is our task? How are we going to stay focused? Um, and because of that buy-in, that initial buy-in that they want to be outside, they're willing to learn those routines. And Hazel, what would you add to um, these lists of benefits to educating out of doors? Yeah, I think that uh, Lander and Tira really covered it really well. I think what I would add is that there's something for everyone outdoors because the outdoors is an inherently interdisciplinary place. So whether you're the kind of kid who likes building with sticks or drawing, you can draw what you see, whether they prefer tucking into a book, you can use a field guide to identify what you're noticing. Uh, you can listen to the music of bird songs. There's something that everyone can find that they're passionate about out there. And that opens all kinds of doors for possibility later on when they have the opportunity to really find their own spark, which can take a really long time to figure out, like, what do I, what do I really care about? And the outdoors is a space that can create that and give folks a little bit more help. I think also the mental health benefits, um, I know Lander mentioned a little bit, is a big one. Uh, I think there's been some very good research in recent years just showing that just 15 minutes in a green space outdoors has all kinds of really quick benefits, like lowering your heart rate, your blood pressure, your stress hormone, um, cortisol, of course. And so just being out there, not having to do anything like run or learn or whatever, just being outside has those mental health and physical health benefits right away, which is a, a pretty big deal, especially in a time uh, coming out of the pandemic and with all the stressors in our world that we really all have the opportunity to take advantage of. I think too, um, that that opportunity to build resilience, not just from, as Tara was saying, knowing how to be prepared for a challenging situation, whether that's weather or biting insects and knowing what you need from inside to get to take outside to be comfortable, but also, what do you need to do when you're feeling those really big, hard emotions, like Lander was mentioning, emotional regulation? So when we're outside, that helps us calm down. And it's a tool, both how do I prepare for hard situations, but also how do I regulate big, hard emotions that I'm feeling? And simply being outside can do that. You don't have to have structure. You just need to be there. Mm. And and you're talking about life skills. You're not talking about just skills for um, the adolescent 
period. You're talking about skills that we take with us um, for the rest of our lives. Um, What would you say uh, are some maybe add to this part of the conversation about kind of underlying principles of outdoor education? Is there anything that serves as a foundation other than the things that you've already talked about? Hazel, why don't you start and, and see if others have comments about underlying principles? Sure. I mean, I think I think you can look this up, right? And you're going to get a million different answers to it. And I like to really keep it simple because there's two things I really keep in mind when I'm working with anyone outside, children or adults are like, the first is around safety and preparation. So how do we arrive in that space knowing that our basic needs are going to be met? Um, so are we going to be warm enough, dry enough, comfortable enough? Is it reasonable to say that we're going to do nature journaling when it's 20 degrees out there without mittens on? Probably not. So how can we adapt to doing something different? So how do we prepare? How do we stay safe? What are the what are the threats in that particular environment? Are we hanging out in a spot where there's poison ivy or a lot of ticks? And how can we adapt to those particular threats to our well-being in a way that still allows us to be out there? Um, thinking about good boundaries for ourselves and the other living things out there too. So it's not just our own safety, but how do we keep the other living things in those spaces safe uh, despite us walking around and um, learning from them? And so that's one piece is to go out there with those kinds of expectations around safety for ourselves and the other living things. And then the other aspect I think that is so important is to recognize that no one needs to be an expert on nature or science to get out there but we all do have the tools to learn more about it. So let's get out there. And rather than doing sort of a drag and brag on what, you know, what this is and what it's used for, let's learn about how do we learn more from these cool other species by being really careful observers and using tools like field guides and our own observations, our own questions and things we've noticed to take it to the next level. So no one needs to be intimidated by, I don't know much about nature. I don't know much about science, but you do know how to be a learner. You do know how to ask questions. So let's let's start there and uh, the rest will follow. Mm. Tiara, is there something that's parallel to the classroom? So I think you know, that safety and preparation piece, that's the big barrier that teachers in the classroom have to make it over first. Um, But um, as Hazel mentioned, you know, we are, none of us are experts on it. It's sort of a learn as you go, um, which has been our experience. Um, What I notice happening more outside than indoors is when when kids go home on the weekends, they come back on Monday and they can tell me something that's connected to what we did outdoors. They don't necessarily come back and tell me something about the properties of the trapezoid that we learned in math class. Um, they might, there might be a handful of kids that do that. But for the most part, they're coming in and they're saying, you know, Miss Woods, what birds did you see? I saw a, um, and that's all related to the work we've done outside. That conversation, those connections, they wouldn't have been made if we weren't learning outside. Right. Well, I'll just remind listeners that um, the topic for today's Talk of the Towns is Take It Outside, Maine Educators Teaching Out of Doors. Um, you've just heard from Tiara Woods, who is a middle-level classroom teacher at Lemoyne Consolidated School, and she's joined by Hazel Stark of the Maine Outdoor School based in Millbridge and Lander Nesbitt, Education Coordinator at Blue Hill Heritage Trust. Um, uh, let's Let's go to some of the things that 
happen to students. Um, you've already mentioned some of those um, that people, um, students are are um, observing things um, that uh, are around them. What else happens to students? Um, do you suppose when you take them out of doors, uh, Lander? What 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 do you think about when you say, "Oh, when I took this group of students out, um, this is what happened to them." Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I think I'll share something recently that happened with a group of pre-K students um, that I meet with every Friday morning for two hours. There's a huge glacial erratic in our outdoor classroom site. And um, all year they have been trying to figure out ways to climb it. And both the teacher and I have said, we're, we're not just going to lift you up there. Like you have to figure this out for yourself. Um, and so they've been trying things all year long, um, kind of on and off. And um, just a couple of weeks ago, they figured it out and it was so exciting. Um, one child dragged a huge fallen tree out of the woods that had like this ladder, ladder like branches up the trunk. And they all worked for some time, you know, to lean it up just so, so that it worked worked out uh, between another tree and the the boulder. And then um, they the, the first one just scampered right up and it was this huge celebration. And um, and then over the next couple of weeks, every child in the class has made it up, you know, when it's been comfortable for them to do so. And everyone's really been inspiring each other to to keep at it. And I feel like this this effort um, came out of having like a play and exploration time where it was unstructured and we we weren't just doing um, a lesson that I had planned. And it really covered a huge portion of pre-K standards, a lot of life skills, as someone had mentioned earlier, po- a lot of positive emotions, um, perseverance, leadership, problem solving, um, building that confidence and pride, um, gross motor development, um, risk-taking, but in a safe environment, as Hazel was talking about before. Um, and of course, the view of our space from this huge glacial erratic up there is so different. And so orientation to landscape. Um, and so I guess sometimes I don't know what will happen outside. Like I try and create routines and some structure. And um, as people were mentioning earlier about the safety features and um, but I don't always know what the children will choose to focus on during their play and exploration time and giving them the rain sometimes just has amazing outcomes. Mm. You've just mentioned um, a whole bunch of things that um, most people who aren't involved in the field of education might not recognize, and those ha- happen to be how we've gotten more um, sophisticated about the learning process and standards. Um, uh, Tiara, tell, tell us a little bit about how you see those kind of connecting. Uh, your job as a teacher is to is pay attention to those things. You know, the school system is expecting, the state is expecting you to do that. How does outdoor education um, fit into that that structure? Yeah, sure. So I think you know, that continues to be um, a struggle for for teachers around the state and around the country. Um, And it can certainly be a limiting factor. But uh, just like we we have our students outside observing, I think as an educator, if we are looking around and paying attention to local organizations and local happenings, the seasons, what's happening outside, there are so many connections that tie into standards. The connections are there. Um, sometimes it feels daunting that we have to make all of the connections and and be able to uh, say we did this to meet this standard. But I think the benefits outweigh that feeling, the benefits of being outside and watching the connections that are made um, over and over again. I think as far as the standards go, 
it's easy to connect to them. You just have to be willing to be flexible and keep your eyes open. And you're not having to do that uh, all by yourselves. As a, as a teacher, you've got support. And for folks like Lander and, and Hazel can help with that. They they think about those things all the time, so they can help. Hazel, what would you add to um, what happens to students when you take them outdoors and, and take them into the into the world that uh, you, you feel very comfortable in? Um, what happens to students? Yeah, I think also building off of what Tierra said, there's so much that happens at once. Um, and also what Lander was saying around the experience of climbing that rock and figuring it out. There's so much that happens at once that I was with a second grader, uh, second grade class a couple of weeks ago. We were at one point, you know, looking at the chalkboard, writing out the observations that they had made with all of their senses. And the teacher chuckled. And she was like, well, that was a standard check. And then I was, we were going on. And then she says to me, like, that was another standard. Thanks, check. And so she was um, marking off like all these standards that we covered together in less than an hour um, based on an experience that the kids really enjoyed. I think a couple of other stories that sort of highlight that question of, of what happens out there and related back to what I said earlier about everyone finding something for them, some kind of passion and skill is that. There was this one day with a, a first grade class that I had a few years ago. This was early in the pandemic. We were all even masked up outside still at that point because we didn't yet understand how the um, virus was transmitted. And so we're all out there masked up and their task was to go and do some building. And there was this one student who she just really was having a hard time focusing that day. She clearly did not seem to want to engage in building a little habitat for an animal but she noticed that I was wearing these earrings that were beavers. Um, she looked closely at my earrings and she said, what animals are those? And I said, I don't know. Here's a field guide. Figure it out. And so she she took a field guide. She hunkered down under a tree. And five minutes later, she comes back and says, is it this? Is And what does this say? And I said, yes, this is a beaver. You matched the picture. And then we got to learn about the beavers together. And the teacher later came back to me and said, you know, I haven't seen her stop and focus on one thing for that long a period of time ever. And she did an amazing job. She had never used a field guide at that point. She didn't know how they worked, um, but she just worked on matching the pictures with this image on my earrings. And then we coincidentally were right next to some beaver chew where they had cut down a tree. So we we're able to make a connection right then at this, this species I'm sporting on my earrings did this thing um, in your schoolyard. And so that was such a great moment where not only was the student able to succeed at something that was her own personal challenge that she cared about, but also show to her fellow students and the teacher something that she was really good at that none of them had ever seen before. And that wouldn't probably have happened indoors. Mm. And so that is something that I love to see is I love when teachers get surprised by how a particular student shines outdoors when they can often really struggle in the indoor setting. And that often happens for students with ADHD. I've experienced is that there's so many distractions indoors, but what are distractions outdoors are things that you can plug into and engage with. And so when I've had a student who's struggling with following directions or something, I've been on a hike and said, hey, I just noticed there's a lady slipper over there. Can you do this job for me? Can you count 
how many lady slippers are along this stretch of trail while we're hiking. And then I count two and we compare. And of course, the student always notices more than I do because those students are just way more able to take in more from their environment than I am. And so that's something that can impress me. And I can say, hey, you did a better job than I did. Um, you have this cool skill that I don't have. And that I think is important for children to hear from adults also. Mm. Tara, before we started to talk about, I took us off the off uh, uh, talking about standards. Um, you mentioned that you um, use your math skills. How do you how do you um, use um, use the outdoors to teach math, for instance, or or anything else that that's different than the typical? Um, oh, we're going to learn about this plant um, per se. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So um, we have a lot of opportunity to use measuring skills and different measuring tools. Um, and this time of year, especially, we can go out and, and keep track of um, the buds on the trees or plants and measure, which is great data collection. So we could we could do a number of things with with that data. Um, the other thing we can do, we can make graphs and charts um, about what we've seen or what we've heard outside. Um, so I, math is a good one to sneak in outside. How about, how about um, art and uh, literature? Um, do any of you incorporate um, uh, things that are more less uh, observation and more inspiration, let's say? Lander, do, how do you, you incorporate some of those other, other um, spheres of, of education? Yeah, sure. Um, so one example, um, our Wild Sun Catcher program um, is a collaboration with the local public library, and we focus on a different um, plant on the peninsula every month. Um, and we, we have an ecology lesson that is kind of the foundation. So we, we did pussy willows um, one time, and we've used this lesson in multiple ways in other places, too. Um, so we'll we'll be talking about, you know, the pussy, willows, the pussy willow as an early pollinator plant and that it's a host plant for the viceroy butterfly. Um, but then we also, we have a group of kids that are like three to 12. And so um, it's really fun to then incorporate. We have a song that we sing about Pussy Willows that teaches about habitat and name orange, origin. Um, and we often make do a craft with the willows. And so we we talk about sustainably harvesting them and then make little willow wreaths. Um, one time we had a young person with Polish ancestry who wanted to tell a story called The Legend of the Pussy Willow. So there was kind of that literature, oral storytelling piece in there. Um, and then we had people take home branches of Pussy Willow to propagate to kind of continue that um, integrating more pollinator habitat into people's yards. Um, so I think we really um, successfully tied in art, science, literature, music, history. Um, and I find that when kids are using their, their not only their heads, but their hands and their hearts as well, that it helps them remember the connections and the importance of this plant kind of going forward. And as Hazel was saying, there's the, there's kind of something for everyone outside. Like if you're more interested in the craft, then maybe that's what you'll really remember. If you're more interested in, um, you know, the ecology piece or the singing or the story, um, hopefully there's something for everybody. Mm. And it seems like um, you're, you're um, responding to the full person, <laughs> um, all of the elements of, of a person. And perhaps in our in our traditional sense of a classroom, um, we break that up into, oh, we're going to study math at this point, we're going to study art at this point, going to study um, English literature. But what you're able to do is to say, okay, we're, we're whole people, we're all out of doors, what, what are we seeing, what are we see how can we learn about where we are? 
That's great. I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. Our topic today is Take It Outside, Maine Educators Teaching Out of Doors. You've just heard from Lander Nesbitt, who's the Education Coordinator at Blue Hill Heritage Trust, joined by Tara Woods, who's a middle-level classroom teacher at Lemoyne Consolidated School, and Hazel Stark of the Maine Outdoor School based in Millbridge. What's been some of the ways in which, Tara, you're a classroom teacher, you seem pretty comfortable in taking students out of doors. Uh, Lander and Hazel assist, I suppose, classroom teachers in helping with that process. Hazel, maybe start with you and, and, and talk about how do you, as kind of outside of the, the school system, but supporting the school system, what's that relationship like? And then we can get comments from others as well. Sure. So Maine Outdoor Schools really focused on custom programs because just like we're talking about with being able to be a really address a whole person and get out there and find something you're passionate about. Every school, every classroom, every teacher is a little bit different and have different needs and goals. And yeah, they all have the same kind of like, we have to meet these standards in this grade. But rather than going in and saying, hey, do you want to learn about trees? I say, hey, what are you learning about? And what standards do you want me to cover? I'm going to do it outside and I'm going to do it place-based, like right behind your school and, and connected in these ways. But I want to know how I can integrate with what you're already doing so that this isn't some extra experience that you're going to have to figure out how to tie in. I want to be the one that is helping bring the ties in. And so that's where I start. So pretty much I never do the same program twice because each time I work with a teacher, I say, what's going on with your individual students this year? What are they passionate about? What are you doing? How can I help? And so, you know, with Tierra's classes this year, her fifth graders were really learning a lot about trees. And so I was able to say, okay, well, let's connect every science standard you want me to cover with trees. So we have that arc and then they can do more tree stuff when I'm not there. And her sixth graders right now, we're doing bird connections the whole time. And so we're, we're connecting in that way too. And uh, so that's where I start. But sometimes there are teachers who say, whatever, I want to talk about habitats, or I just want to get them outside, it doesn't really matter, I don't have particular goals, and I can work with that too. And so then I just look at the standards and figure out, you know, what should they be learning, and then I craft it based on the opportunities in their particular schoolyard. Mm -hmm. So that's how that's how I function is really trying to make sure that um, there is this integration between those individuals, that particular schoolyard, the outdoors and what they're already doing. So it's not just an extra, it's it's part of the experience. So let's stay with you just for a minute, because um, I want um, listeners to understand that um, as a kind of an outside consultant, you must have some kind of contractual relationship with schools. And how does that work? How do you put that together? Um, how is that funded, for instance? Yeah, absolutely. So we're also, we totally customize not only what we're offering, but how we figure out how to get paid. And so um, sometimes schools will budget for this. They can figure out whichever type of funding pool they recognize this fits into, whether that's those 21st century skills funding, whether that's um, the various title funding that exists for learning outdoors um, or just physical activity. So sometimes schools pay for programs directly. And uh, what's been even more often the case, especially at this phase in the pandemic, is that we work with 
partners. So one of the common uh, funding partners that we work with is land trusts, actually. And right now we have some pretty big contracts with both Frenchman Bay Conservancy and Crabtree Neck Land Trust who have this conservation and stewardship mission, but they don't have educators on staff. So what a perfect opportunity for them to fund my outdoor education staff to get into their local schools get those schools, those experiences for free to the school and to be able to get those students outside to their local land trust trails on field trips and connecting not only to Maine Outdoor School as a resource for their learning, but also their local land trust and what that does for a community. So understanding what is so important about this blend of community resources that exists to help make their learning more exciting, but also create more access and connection to land and stewardship and conservation in the area. So in that case, it's free to the school. If the school can afford it, they can pay for it. But if not, we like to work with partners to help them make it even more accessible. Well, Landry, you represent um, a land trust that has made the investment to have an education staff, you and, and, and perhaps some others. Um, and you seem to have partnerships with beyond just schools, with many institutions in your community that um, have education perhaps as part, a subpart of their, their own missions. So um, tell a little bit more about how you make those relationships work and, and how, that, how that plays out. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so we, um, just this year, we hired two additional staff. So I think our organization is really growing. It's so supported by the community. Um, we have amazing relationships with grant funders, which support our programming, um, and support operations to allow more staff to come on board as well. Um, and we, um, yeah, we, we partner with the, the libraries, um, the schools, um, so many other nonprofits and even businesses, many individuals, volunteers. Um, and so it all allows it to happen. So we, we do offer our programming for, for free to the schools because we, our organization itself has so much support. Um, and we're able, we're able to do that, which is really nice. Mm. Uh, Tiara, what's been some of the responses as, um, you've taken, um, uh, students out of doors, um, from perhaps fellow teachers who might be a little um, wary of taking students outdoors or parents or um, school officials? What's been the reaction um, to doing outdoor education um, in, in, the, in this case with, with Hazel's help, but your, your leadership as well? Yeah, and I can uh, also attest to the fact there are so many organizations and community members who are willing to help out with this. Um, you know, we've we've reached out uh, further down the state, we've we've spoken with people from Avian Haven, um, the Bird Rehabilitation Center here in Maine. We've worked with the state park, the national park. Um, it's almost kind of overwhelming how many um, outside organizations have information and are willing to come in and talk and share with the students. Um, so that's been a really positive experience. And I think, you know, through sharing with our administration and other teachers and parents that all of these uh, organizations and individuals are coming in, it's been um, such a positive, it's been received in such a positive way. Um, I feel like some of these opportunities give students things to talk about when they go home. So there's like, wow, we had this person from this place come in and talk about these uh, these birds or these plants today. Um, so I think overall in our community, uh, our local school community and abroad, it's it's been a positive experience for everyone. 
Mm. Are there challenges that we haven't talked about that uh, that uh, listeners might be saying, well, you know, what about um, safety? You've covered some of that, but uh, what are the, some of the challenges um, that you, uh, Tierra, have as a as a uh, classroom teacher and what some of your colleagues might be thinking about as barriers or uh, problems to be solved? Anything come to mind? Yeah, I, you know, we have talked about the safety piece and learning the expectations. Um, and we also touched upon that scheduling piece of, hey, we only have 40 minutes for this class to be outside. Um, and the way we've tackled that here at Lemoyne um, is giving teachers sort of double blocks of time. So you teach um, language arts and social studies, you're going to get a double block to do language arts and social studies. And that sort of allows for that whole person learning, that whole full spectrum learning where we can get outside for a double block. Um, I think, you know, that's what I wrote in my notes today, time with an exclamation point. Um, if I could get a whole day to go outside, I I could check off so many standards and I could check off so many content areas um, just, just from being outside. Mm. How about um, things like insurance and, and transportation? Um, how do you work with those kinds of um, either costs or, or uh, difficulties? Yeah, we we have um, our own busing at Lemoyne. We're a small district, so that's that's been pretty easy to navigate. Our bus drivers are happy to, you know, drive twenty minutes in any direction, and we can get to to so many different uh, preserves and uh, land trusts. Um, yeah, in yeah. terms of- Yeah, how about, how about Tiara or, or um, excuse me, uh, Lander or Hazel, are, are you helping um, classroom teachers with barriers that they perceive um, to, to doing things out, out of doors? Um, Hazel, start with you and then go to, to Lander. Yeah, I think one of the, I definitely want to echo time for sure. I think one of the biggest barriers for me in working with anyone ages seventh grade and up is their schedule. Um, It's so rigid and it's really hard to get in. So to get them outside and then back in itself is transition time. And if you have a 40 minute class period, then what do you have like 20 minutes outside? So the ability for schools to be flexible about that, to allow to even physically get outdoors and then back inside is a big one. But one of the barriers, too, has been there's a couple. One is definitely ticks. There's been so much tick fear in recent years, which is totally fair. They carry diseases. We need to be careful about that. Um, but unfortunately, that fear has definitely led a lot of parents, a lot of teachers to just really worry about how um, how to handle that. And so we always send home a tick information flyer before our students come outside. That's bilingual in English and Spanish and has links to more information about the different ticks that we have here and the diseases and tick check procedure and all of that stuff. Then we talk about it and make sure we know what a tick looks like in our first program together and we just make it comfortable. And I also just like to spend some time talking about how cool a species ticks are. Um, They're so resilient. Like what an incredible creature that me growing up in Maine, I never had a tick on me until I was an adult. That was just not a thing. So it's also an amazing climate change connection. Uh, So there's a lot of learning that we can do that both uh, helps kind of tamper that fear of ticks and also helps us be more safe of what does it actually mean to do a tick check when you get home and how do we make sure that we don't get Lyme disease or anything else by doing those careful tick checks? So that's a that is a big one that comes up all the time. And I like to spend time on it because it's an important one. 
The other aspects is that for Maine Outdoor School, we're fully insured. So that also helps um, when we take students off of their school grounds. School insurance covers it when you're on the school grounds. But when we're off on a field trip, we're fully insured. Um, I'm also a registered Maine guide that allows more flexibility to get to different places. And I'm a wilderness first responder as well. So a lot of places in Maine um, are wilderness situations. Sometimes it feels like even when you're in a town, right? Like how long is it going to take the ambulance to get there? So it also helps, I think, teachers feel more comfortable that there is a person who is well-versed in the outdoors, not getting lost, taking care of injuries that may occur in a wilderness setting, all of that kind of thing that just makes them feel like they're in good hands and like they don't have to be responsible for every last detail and responsibility um, on top of what teachers are already really um, worried about. So I think uh, bringing in that kind of expertise, but also going slow to go fast around preparation and safety expectations in advance really helps reduce barriers um, in particular. Lander, what would you add to that? Anything particular that uh, you encounter when you're working with either school groups or other organizations in terms of what people perceive as a barrier to doing education out of doors? Um, I would definitely echo the time piece, um, which both Tierra and Hazel have covered. Um, even I, as I mentioned, we're a growing staff, but our capacity, Blue Hill Heritage Trust, our service area is the peninsula and we work with 10 schools, um, which, which is a lot. And we have a lot of interest and a lot of teachers reaching out to us asking for programming. And so, um, Sometimes the challenge is saying yes to all of those programs, which is amazing that there's so much interest and we appreciate it so much and we're so happy to help. Um, and so was, sometimes we're able to draw on our volunteer pool. Now we have a staff position that's an education coordinator, so we'll be able to have a lot more capacity, I think. Um, but that that arises for us. Um and then I guess like an accessibility piece too sometimes comes into play as as a challenge. Um, uh, Chrissy Allen at Blue Heritage Trust um, has been such a driving factor in getting accessible trails um, on our properties, and that's still in progress. Um, I'm, I admire Martha Bell and Mickey Flores and other teachers at Deer Island Elementary School so much for putting in an accessible trail on their school grounds so that when the environmental educator comes in, there's that. Um, so I, I've encountered that um, for you know different abilities. And even, um, you know, it, it arises more often than I, I imagine it to that um, children who are maybe having a hard day or have a one-on-one -on -one or resource room services are sometimes left out of that outdoor time and just really encouraging that you know, we're, we're going outside to learn science and to learn things, but it's also like literally about a child's overall well-being to get out there. And it feels urgent to make sure that every child has that chance. Um and that it, it also doesn't become a punishment to stay indoors either and become a part of that rewards and punishment system um, mm -hmm. that's often in place. Um, so that's a, a challenge that I encounter in that it's an amazing part of our work to be able to um, to encourage people to to get out and that there are so many layers of benefits to being out there. How about um, teaching teachers? to teach out of doors. Um, how does that all work? So that that it's not always going to be that uh, there's an outside resource. Um, Tiara, do you, do you have um, a sense that teachers can learn about teaching out of doors um, through um, credits and, and courses? Or how does that happen? Yeah, I think there are a lot more programs now uh, than there ever used to be that um, incorporate outdoor education and teaching teachers to teach outside. Um, and I think the other thing to remember is 
we won't be able to teach everything outside all the time, but we can definitely make connections to the outdoors even when we're indoors. And I think that is really where this all starts is if we're connecting what we're learning indoors to outdoors, that's sort of that invitation to go outside. So the more often we're making those connections, the more invitations we get to go outside. Um, and it sort of becomes that that theme of how you teach. So I'm going to teach based on the seasons and I'm going to come up with curriculum that matches the seasons. Some days we'll be inside talking about what's going on out there. Other days we'll actually be outside experiencing it. Mm. And you're in, in the in the middle school. Um, uh, how how low does outdoor education go in terms of of uh, young folks and and how um, into high school? Where does that range kind of fit? Um, start with you, um, Tiara, and then we'll see if if Hazel or Lander have comments as well. What's what's the span of of kind of when we take kids out of doors? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm coming at it from, you know, kids are 10 or 11, you know, they've had um, lots of indoor education by the point um, that I see them in fifth and sixth grade. Um, and I think, you know, it, that starting from that point, there are so many routines that we we have to teach. We have to take that time to teach the routines, the safety routines, the expectations, um, and that how do you learn outside. Um, if it started sooner, perhaps we wouldn't have to spend so much time on that um, in the middle level years. Mm. Hazel, what about um, how how would you describe the the kind of the range of when when we we ought to be teaching out of doors? I I can assume that you might say we always ought to be teaching out of doors. You got it, Ron. We always <laughs> should be teaching outside. Um, yeah, but I will I will echo that with Tierra because I again in Maine Outdoor Schools' mission around being responsive to what people are looking for, both in terms of standards, but it's also in terms of which teachers want it, which grades want it. Because in, in addition to student buy-in, which is very easy to get, teacher buy-in um, can vary depending on that particular teacher and, and their experience and passion for the outdoors or not. And so what we've found is that we actually have the most demand in our programming from lower elementary school because they have the most schedule flexibility, pre-K through third grade. Once you get to fourth and up, it starts being a lot more rigid. But when I've worked with, and one of our important models in terms of structure is we really try to prioritize getting in the same classroom for an hour at least every week for as much of the school year as possible so that we span seasons, we span experiences. It gives them time to build relationships with the outdoors and each other. And so we would rather do an hour a week for the whole school year than a two full day field trip once a year, just because it has longer term um, positive impacts by kind of spreading it out that, that way. Um, but I think that when I've had the same students in pre-K and then in kindergarten and first grade, yeah, the transition time in them coming outside in first grade then, knowing the routine in the past couple of years is way less. Like they come out more prepared. They're ready to go. We don't have to spend as much time on those expectations and fears. They have fewer fears about ticks and spiders and all those things because little kids are just a lot more resilient and curious than older kids. And so when they're very and adults, ki kids in general are always more curious and resilient than adults. Let's just say that. But um, yeah, the younger they are, the more we can expose them to different experiences and they just gain comfort with that and confidence. And so later on, when they have that rigid schedule in sixth or seventh grade, 
they show up outside and we don't have to worry about spending quite as much of that time saying like, really, you think a hoodie is going to cover it? It's 20 degrees. They actually bring their their winter coat out and their winter boots and they're ready to go. So we have more time in the small amount of time we have to actually learn and engage with the outdoors. Great. Well, I'll just remind listeners that we're talking about taking it outside, Maine Educators Teaching Outdoors. You've just heard from Hazel Stark, the Maine Outdoor School, also joined by Tara Woods, a middle-level classroom teacher in Lemoyne and Lander Nesbitt, education coordinator at Blue Hill Heritage Trust. I'd like each of you to, to we've got about 10 minutes less, maybe tell a story, um, if you, you think of a story again that illustrates um, the, the power of outdoor education. You've already told some, maybe think of another another story, and then we'll um, end up um, asking what you'd advise uh, for teachers and school school folks and parents about making th- the best of, of outdoor education. But uh, has anybody thought of a story? Raise your hand if you're ready to um, start with a story, and then I'll go to the others after that. Hazel, go ahead. Sure. So um, I already told the, the beaver earring story, but another one of uh, a student who I think she was in pre-K at the time and we were doing an exploration outside and I've been lucky that she was one of my first pre-K students back in 2016 or 2017 and I have managed to work in her school or she's come to a summer camp I've done pretty much every year since then. So even though we've had these short experiences, a matter of hours each year, I've been able to really see how her engagement with the natural world uh, really has evolved. And so in pre-K, I saw her getting really passionate about slugs. And so she was really collecting up slugs and then she moved on to snails and I could just tell she was passionate about it. And her mom works at my local bank, go in there one day and she's like, you know, my daughter keeps picking up snails. She collects them out of the garden. Actually, it's very convenient because (laughs) she takes them out of the garden. Then she takes them in and and learns about them. And then a couple of years go by and she says, now she's gotten really into collecting up frogs and toads and learning about these amphibians. And then more recently, she's, um, you know, she's older now. She came to one of my summer camps that is designed for girls to build naturalist and outdoor um, and gardening skills in the summertime. And she reflected to her mom after that camp that she realized through that that there were jobs for her in Washington County besides being a banker or a nurse, which she never felt a connection to. And she realized that there was a job to be a guide as an adult woman here. There's a job to take other kids outside. There's a job to be a scientist, to learn about these things. Like these are possibilities in her future that she didn't realize. She thought that those were the only choices, working in a bank or being a nurse. Um, And she suddenly realized through these experiences over time that her future has more possibilities than she realized before. And what a cool, what a cool thing. um, That's great. That's great. Lander, have you thought of a sto- another story to tell our listeners about um, working out of doors and education? Sure. Um, I have another story kind of about stewardship with the younger grades. Um, I was working with a class one time. They were kindergartners and they had spent quite a bit of time outside in pre-K as well with their pre-K teacher um, and had kind of come back to the same location as Hazel is indicating. A lot of our programming as well um, happens regularly throughout the seasons. Um, and so these kids had come back um, to the same place and they had always, they, there was this little spruce tree that they had always, um, I guess, sang, sung songs around. That's what they had told me with their previous teacher. Um, and they came back to the place the following year at the beginning of the 
school year and the, the little tree had kind of fallen over. Um, and they were so um, kind of sad about this. They had really formed a relationship and an attachment, I think, from all that time the previous year, every week going out. And so um, for weeks on end, they worked to um, kind of um, help revive the health of this little spruce tree in the middle of our clearing. And um, they they would bring rocks over to try and stand it up. They took all this string one time and like attached it like a spider web to all sorts of other branches around it. Um, at Christmas time, they hung little like cranberries and bird feeders on the tree. Um, and, and then at Valentine's Day, they made all these little um, heart like snow cakes to put around the tree. And I just thought that was such an amazing example of children kind of teaching me how to, to do stewardship in a way or showing me their developmental level and where they were ready to participate in stewardship. Um, Cause that's a big part of our mission and something we do in our outdoor programs and try and, um, you know, cultivate those stewardship skills. But with the younger ones, they were just able to find their own way of doing it and their own way of caring for the space. Right. Take, taking one tree and eventually you'll talk about taking care of the forest. So it's right. it's that. Uh, w- what is the relationship? Great. Great. Um, how about you, Land? I mean, Tierra, um, a, a story that uh, we can begin to close up, close with. Yeah, sure. And I think, you know, to echo that stewardship, it, it starts with that empathy for nature. And I think that's something that I have seen in outdoor education that I would not have seen in the classroom. Um I've seen students make connections to to plants, to trees, to birds, to insects. And in particular, I have a student who, when he introduces himself to any new adult, one of the first things he says about himself is, my name is this and I hate spiders. And he is so animated. He's so animated about how terrifying the spiders are. Um, and that was that was how I met the student in September. Just last month uh, in March, we encountered a spider on the playground slide and he came to me and said, look over there, there's a spider. I'm still scared of it, but I'm going to let that spider do those spider things on that slide because I'm not all that different from the spider. Um, And those are the, the connections that I've seen. We are not all that different from all of the other living beings that are out there in the outdoors. We're all in this together. Mm, oh, wonderful. 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 I thought you were going to say that, that he's, 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 um, he loves spiders now, but no, that'll take some more time. Not there yet. <laughs> right. Right. Well, what advice would you have for listeners who might be saying, well, I'd like to um, get more um, out of door education in my school system. What, um, any simple advice in the, a couple minutes, and then we'll ask you for your hopes for the future. But uh, um, Hazel, what, what advice would you say, give people? Yeah, I think the first one is just don't overthink it. If you're um, simply doing your usual worksheet or you're reading outside instead of inside, that makes a huge difference. Mental health, physical health, um, increasing academic engagement, concentration, like the list goes on. So don't overthink it. You don't need to be the expert. Just get out there. Um, And I think the other aspect is outdoor classrooms or sit spaces in circles can really be a barrier reducer and a transition time reducer. So if you have an open space or can create an open space, tip not right by your playground because that's a really noisy spot if other kids have recess, but kind of further back out of sight of the school, ideally. Um, ask for volunteers who have those trees that fell down this winter for stumps to donate to your school, have all those kids roll those stumps into a circle. 
that's going to get those kids immediately organized into a sitting circle when you get out there. That can be a really helpful barrier reducer. And without stumps too, you can grab some sit pads of some kind um, to have a dry, warm place to sit. And then also look to your community resources. They're out there. And um, the website Teach Me Outside and the Maine Environmental Education Association are a couple of places to go to see what options are are there for you in your area. Great. Um, Lander, any quick um, advice in terms of folks wanting to do more outdoor education? Yeah, I think I would echo everything Hazel said. Same thing, just get outside, walk on your nature trail, um, do a sit spot, go look for ants on your soccer field. Um, another thing to add to the outdoor classroom space, if teachers are worried about, um, you know, there, there aren't the four walls of the classroom. And so if you have runners um, kind of creating a natural boundary, it's it's really fun to put up um, the four directions on like trees to say like, this is our space to start with. And this is where we're going to hang out inside as we play and explore. That can be really useful. And then just to add on to resources, the Inside Outside Network is also a great website to go to. Um, to get started. Great. And maybe a one sentence um, response to what are your hopes for um, educating out of doors? Start with Tierra. Yeah, my hopes for educating out of doors is that um, the more we do it, the more curiosity will inspire, which will lead to some compassion um, and ignite creativity. And with those three things, curiosity, compassion, creativity, I think our students um, in the state of Maine will really be able to tackle anything that comes their way. Great. Lander, a brief um, hope. Yeah, um, I'm hoping that um, outdoor education can have uh, more Indigenous voices over time. Um, I think Maine is it's doing so many things in in the diversity, um, justice, inclusion piece of outdoor education. Um, but I think we we need to move over and make a lot more space for those voices as well. The the land itself knows those voices well for thousands of years and kind of wants it back in con- com- conversation as well um, to convey whatever outdoor education message. Um, is important for them as well. And Hazel Stark, again, a brief um, hope. My hope is that outdoor education is a regular part of every public school day in every season, winter included, because that'll inspire a more passionate, empathetic, and caring next generation, which is what we all want. Great. Thank you so much. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure and join us from four to five on the second Wednesday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. Please tune in for our companion program, Coastal Conversations, with Natalie Springle of the University of Maine Sea Grant from 4 to 5 on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balnain House Island music recording. And thanks again to our guests, Hazel Stark of the Maine Outdoor School based in Millbridge, Tara Woods, middle school, middle level classroom teacher at Lemoyne Consolidated School, and Lander Nesbitt, education coordinator at Blue Hill Heritage Trust. Um, Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown and Joel Mann for engineering our program. Stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and The Groove Shop from 6 to 8. Liz Graves and I are your producers and hosts for Talk of the Towns, and this is Ron Beard wishing you a good afternoon.